if an ED hires a consultant to do an organizational assessment or strategic planning, and when the consultant talks to the board members about this project, right, the assessment or the planning, the board members want to initiate a conversation about the executive director's performance issues. How would you handle this? Does the consultant report to the ED or to the board? Do you disclose or ask the ED before talking to the board members? Hmm. <laughs> like oh, that, that was question. an evil so, laugh. That was an evil yeah, laugh. Yeah. So, I mean, only because as soon as I heard it, I saw dollar signs, right? Yeah. So, so I think the way, if I were the consultant in this situation, yeah. the way that I would handle this is I would say that there needs to be a separate contract because that's two different, that's two different scopes of work just because, I mean, unless you made the mistake of doing it all on retainer, like it seems like the organizational assessment, the strategic planning is a project, which involves both the board and the executive director. If, if there's an executive director performance issue, that's a completely different project. And I would probably, if I were the consultant, look for a different retainer for that project or a different contract for that project. Um, because I, I think it's kind of inappropriate just for organizations to just go, hey, since you're here, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> you do that to a plumber. Hey, since you're here, yeah. right, you're going to get keep getting charged for as long as that guy stands around. <laughs> well, and it also goes back to, right, the clarity of, I think, um, so this is just sort of more of a insider baseball a little bit. But I think one of the reasons that consultants can't stand RFPs is RFPs have already oftentimes, like the organization feels like they know what the solution needs to be. And they say, oh, we need an organizational assessment or we need a strategic plan. And then you start to talk to, you You don't get a chance often to talk to the organization. And then you get hired for this and you find out during it that maybe it actually wasn't about any of that. And maybe it is executive director performance, you know, issues or whatever the case is. And so I think this also goes back to our listeners who hire consultants, um, you know, recognize that sometimes if you if you're hiring the right person, they may be asking you questions to help really diagnose what what is the real issue here, right? And it feels like everyone likes to you know plop strategic planning. Oh, great, that's an issue. Let's do a strategic plan. It's like no, 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 no. Strategic planning is not something that should be done all the time, right? And there's there's times it makes sense and there's times it doesn't. So, anyways, I agree with you, Andy. Like I do think it's a scope of work issue, and unless there was something that was like inherent to my process as a consultant, like in the organizational assessment, I mean, let's be candid. If I'm going to assess an organization, I'm going to assess all aspects of it. So part of that probably will be leadership management, part of that, which includes the board as well. So like if that was part of it, I would probably explain that and say, you know, that's part of my process, right? It, it just, I guess it depends how you're defining all of these things and just getting clarity around it. But yeah, there's... um. If they're trying to weasel that in there, then, yeah, the quickest way to get them to either step back or reevaluate is, hey, I'm going to need an additional scope of work for that. So, and, you know, but I do think it begs the question. So, like, when you're, I, I think sometimes there is a sense, and I don't know, Andy, if you've run into this as a consultant, is there a sense that, like, you work, like, do you look at it as working for the ED or working for the board, or do you look at it as I'm here on behalf of the organization, regardless of who signed the contract with me? I do so very little like general 
consulting now. <laughs> like, so, like, I don't, I don't even remember. Yeah. Because um, usually mine is so project based, especially for, because I don't do that much nonprofit consulting. Yeah. And it's usually super specific project based. Like we want this. And so that's the deliverable. And we're really clear about that from the beginning. Um, but I'm also a sucker for just, I mean, I do a podcast with my friend Stacy once every couple of weeks and we just tell everybody everything all the time. So um, also kind of a sucker for just like having opinions, yes, <laughs> regardless of whether they're warranted or requested. Um, so yeah, scope creep's a real thing. Um, we try to avoid it when we can, but sometimes we just can't stop talking. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything. The podcast about everything nonprofit with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacy Wedding. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I'm Andy Shurick. I'm here with my wonderful, amazing co-host, Stacy Wedding, and we're here to answer any and all nonprofit questions that you send us. So the way this works is you go to Facebook, you go to Twitter, you go to the Nonprofit Everything webpage. Uh, you reach out in what other, whatever way you can think of to get those questions to us. And Stacy and I will do some research and get back to you on that every two weeks on the podcast. And if it's something that stumps us or we don't think we can sufficiently answer the question or it's uh, maybe a technical area that's way beyond our areas of expertise, we'll bring in a guest expert. And we love doing that. So please do your best to send us questions that we can't answer because it gives us an excuse to call people that are much smarter than we are and uh, much better at uh, very complicated technical topics. We, we like that a lot. Um, we've also just brand new opened a new Discord channel. So if you want to come hang out with us, if you want more information on the episodes, if you want to chat with other users or, or I don't know, we'll, we'll think of other fun things to do in there. Um, the invite for the discord channel can be found in the show notes. It's also available on the nonprofit, everything one page in the contact us section, or reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter or someplace else and say, Hey, send me a discord invite and uh, we'll get you in there too. Um, we've got a cool show today, so please stick around and, um, we will jump right in. handful of months ago, we had a board member involved in a personal scandal that was in the news. This person is also a significant donor to our organization and beloved by many. Our, our board ultimately decided to keep quiet, not taking any action, and basically praying the media wouldn't call us for a comment. As the chief fundraiser, I wasn't comfortable with this decision, but it was out of my hands. How do you think our organization should have handled this? And in my role, was there anything I could have done? Well, I think it depends on the scandal, right? I mean, like it, if so, so I, I, I probably agree with the board the most on this one is that there's nothing proactive that I think would be appropriate when someone that's tangentially related to you does something bad. Um, you're because like, even if the media did respond to you, what would you even say other than factual information? Yes. This person donates to our organization. Like what's the rest of the, what's the rest of the news story that involves you? <laughs> um, 
So, I mean, unless it's something really just weird and specific that has to, you know, you're, uh, I'm not even going to say it, but like you're, you're an organization where the thing that this person did makes your organization seem like it was some kind of like child trafficking organ, you know, something where there's like a reason that you need to have a comment. I think, I think being quiet is probably the right way to go. Do you, do you have a different opinion, Stacey? So I, I have a slight modification. I do think being quiet, um, like there was no need to kind of go seek out (laughs) making a comment. What I do think is that whenever you do, to me, this begs the question of what are your kind of, do you have a crisis communications plan? Do you have a communications plan if you do have someone tied to your organization, staff or board member that gets into trouble in some way that it does become public and you know, the media are known for it, right? Like I started my career in that industry and the media are known for going after like the jugular, right? And finding anyone like, what can you say? Is this typical of this person's, you know, uh, personality, you know, their demeanor? Is this, you know, is this who this person is? I mean, you just have no clue and media can find you in all the weird places at all the weird times. So I think you want to be proactive if something like this happens. So you at least have some sort of a, a statement or and, and no comment is never good <laughs> because that just, I don't know. I mean, I, you want to avoid that. Like you can just say, you know, um, yes, we were sorry to whatever the statement, like we were disturbed to hear of the news. And, um, but you know, we, we, obviously this has no tie to our organization, but we're, we're sorry to hear of who was impacted or whatever. Like, like there's something and someone who's an expert on that can help you craft what that looks like. But but um, no comment sometimes can make it look like you're hiding something. And I do think you have to just be prepared if something like this happens. Um, I, I I think that's the part that made me like, like the board, for whatever reason, because we don't know the dynamics of the scandal, like the board, it, you know, the person talks about, oh, like the board was basically praying the media wouldn't call us for comments. So like there was enough discussion and, and nervousness about the potential of that happening, like to not be prepared for that potentially to happen feels like a, a, a missed opportunity. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree. I think having a, if you haven't gone through media training, if you haven't paid for your organization to have at least the, the key personnel that are involved with these kinds. So it's going to be the executive director of the board chair or somebody um, investing in media training is a really smart thing to do in general, because it does give you, if you've never done it, it gives you a lot of tools about how to deal with, um, like being able to speak the same language with reporters and then also being able to sort of understand some of the tricks that they may play on you to try to get you to say something either unscripted or something that you didn't mean or something that can be taken out of context. Because the, the you know, we, we see it all the time. You know, we like to, we always like to catch people when they've got the mic pinned on them, but they don't think the interview started yet. And the, the interviewer may just ask an innocuous question, um, not, you know, really because, you know, the camera's not on yet. So this can't possibly be being taped. But as soon as that microphone went on your lapel, you're being mic'd. So, so being aware that things that you say, you have to make sure that they can't be taken out of context. Um, I think, I think no comment, you're right. Just that phrase itself is, you know, reporters will quote that to be catty a lot of times just to make it sound like something was going on. It's like, you see, what was the other one that we used to see the, um, unindicted co-conspirator right 
which right. which means nothing. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> it's basically this we got no dirt on this person, but they were nearby. So we're gonna call them something <laughs> that makes them sound really scary. It does sound um, scary. Yeah. Right. So, so that kind of stuff, I mean, you just got to know the tricks The the, you know, and I've, there was, there was a reporter. I don't think the reporter works here anymore. Maybe they do. I don't know. Actually wasn't a reporter was a columnist was sort of notorious for calling nonprofits and asking them about executive director salaries. Like they, you know, they'd get the, they get the 990, they'd flip to schedule J and then immediately start calling, you know, how dare this person make this much yes, money. I remember and, that. And, yeah. You know, there was no, there's, there's no, that this person was going to write the story no matter what. And it didn't matter what you said. Um, so the, you know, and there was no, there's no skin off your back from not saying anything at all. And it's like, you know, I, I, you know, there's not really anything to say. You've got the schedule J that's, that's all the information. And then, and then if you, if you're sort of calm and cool about it and just say factual things and, um, don't, don't try to goad them. I mean, the story becomes less interesting because you didn't say something dumb. So so it's okay to like not have an opinion on something or, oh yes, we heard about that. Right. You know, that's, that can be the the, right. the right. entire con- content of your statement. Right. Right. And, and a, re- a reporter is not going to be able to go with anything yeah. if you don't say anything. <laughs> so, so yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think you're right. Like being, being prepared, having a crisis communication plan, all that kind of stuff is good, but also recognizing that, you know, Sometimes just being quiet is probably the smartest thing you can be. I do think, though, I, I want to add to this because I was thinking about, I mean, you know, the board in part of its role as ensuring necessary resources, one of those is sort of ensuring the brand of your organization is intact, right? Like making sure that you your reputation is intact. And so while this person, it could be something that they did that was totally unrelated to your mission, I think they're it is worth at least a conversation at some level, perhaps a committee level to start, because this could become a sticky wicket, right? But like a governance committee, if you have one, executive committee to talk about, okay, here's this really public story. Um, It talks about the person's affiliations, or it's very um, known, this person's affiliated with our organization, or, or whatever the case is, right? Like, how does this impact, does this impact our brand, right? Like, and having that conversation. And, and, and if so, then, then do we have the means through bylaws or removal means to, to ask the board member to, until they kind of work through the situation, to step aside, step off the board? Because I, I do think, and it's just hard not knowing more details about this, of what exactly the scandal was and how it's tied to the mission. But I, I do think, right, that the board and the organization has to be brand ambassadors and they have to make sure it's protected as much as they can. And so this one thing could change that. And so, so how do they deal with that? Right? Like, and how do you, how do you deal with situations like this that are out of your control, but, but have a system or mechanism in place that you, you know, that it doesn't feel like it's personal, right? Like that you're not like going after this person personal, like personally, but you've got some kind of, you know, you could create a code of conduct policy, right? That's that here's like our code of conduct of and here's things that could and you can leave it general enough for whatever odd situation comes up that, you know, if we think this is going to impact or jeopardize our organization in any way, you will be asked, you know, to to you will be removed from the board. Like, I, I think there's got to be some mechanisms like that because <laughs> there's too much going on in the world and there's too many statements, right? And people being accused of all sorts of things, whether it's true, false, whatever. But like, 
Like, at what point do we as an organization, like, do you as an organization say we've got, we've got to address it and not ignore it? Because what does that say about us? Especially if, like, for example, our core values are X, Y, Z. Um, I was thinking about this related to recently an organization out of, you know, different state than than Nevada, but but recently had a board member who had a lot of accusations about um, sort of discriminatory behavior. And one of that, non, their nonprofit they serve on, like one of the key core tenants, right, is, is we don't discriminate and we are inclusive and equitable organization and all these things they've been working to like help promote. And here's a board member who kind of, at least supposedly, or was accused of going rogue. So what does that organization do in that situation? Maybe it wasn't directly tied to that organization, but it's still a, a bit of a reflection with that person being a board member. So, and and puts into question, I think, the integrity of an organization if um, if you don't have those things buttoned up. So it's certainly not fun conversations to have, but I, I think they, at some point, we have to have them in today's, particularly in today's day and age. Yeah, I, that's right. I mean, you, you got to remember that you have a voice too. And if somebody, somebody gets accused of something, I mean, it's, this sounds like it was a, a, it was enough of a personal scandal that it was in the news, but I mean, maybe there's extenuating circumstances. Maybe there's, maybe it's not as bad as the newspaper made it sound or, you know, you know, it's not as bad. And so being able to talk to the board member and saying, Hey, you know, what do you think we should do? Like, right. And they may be able, you know, they might be able to explain themselves in a way that makes it okay to keep them on the board. Um, but that's, you know, without asking, you're never going to know. And that's good. You're right. It's going to be a really uncomfortable conversation. And I think for the person who asked this question, they said, is there anything else I could have done? I mean, I, I don't think so. Right. They're the chief fundraiser. They don't have like, that isn't, yeah. I mean, I guess the most, <laughs> I don't, you know, like what could they have done? They could have talked to the executive director and shared their concerns. I mean, I guess that's one thing they could have done, but they aren't a decision maker in this. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe have a, something ready for if a different donor calls and says, how come you're still affiliated with this horrible person that you've got like, you know, something that you you can say yes. that isn't going to get you in trouble and right. Yeah. It make sure that you've got that written down. Good point. How do you manage a founder who serves on the board and micromanages you as the ED of the organization? Adding to this complexity, the founder has built the board to be friends, so it's in her favor. Oh, you know how you don't ever let yourself get in that situation in the first place. <laughs> get a time machine, right? <laughs> Uh, no, I mean, I do want to say something, though, just before I actually try to answer the question is that I just I think this is uh, something that keeps me up at night is this whole idea of founders. And there's many founders I know that probably will be retiring in the next, I don't know, five years or so. And I really implore organizations to think about that very carefully, right? Like what is the founder's continued engagement? If any, does the founder step off for a little while? Uh, it, I feel like this question is kind of a cautionary tale of what happens, right? The founder totally, you know, doesn't really want to let go, but knows, or for whatever reason is letting go, but really not letting go, right? So there's this whole, there's this whole just, um, uncomfortable situation. And the founder always, always seems like they hold some kind of power, uh, even informal power when they're no longer the founder. What do you, what do you think, Andy? 
Yeah, I think, I think what's it been two weeks since we talked about agency theory? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I feel like that one comes up a lot where the, the, the founders, you know, this is their baby in a lot of cases. And the fact that they want to micromanage you and don't want you to mess it up and know how things should be running is kind of just how they are going to exert control. That's just how founders behave. And so you're right, walking into a situation where the founder is going to be there, the founder is going to be on the board. And of course, they built the board of their friends. It's their organization. Um, You kind of have to expect that that's the exact situation that you're walking into. And I don't think any situation, I mean, can you think of a single organization where the founder was still on the board and a new ED came in and they didn't feel the same way? Uh, I cannot. What's interesting is I've done a lot of research and reading on this topic, and there's some there's some interesting resources, and I will try to find them so we can put them in the show notes. But there's some interesting resources that say if it's done really thoughtfully and strategically, a founder can still play a, a really um, healthy and pivotal role even after um, sort of uh, transitioning out of whether they served on the board or whether they were the ED. Um, and so there's some case studies of it working, but I personally have never seen that happen. <laughs> so um, I, I, I think that is probably more of the exception than the rule because uh, just because of the nature of what we're talking about. Um, but I guess, you know, back to, you know, away from my rant about founders and no disrespect to founders, right? I, I have been a founder in the past of an organization that we actually ultimately chose to dissolve um, after so many years, which um, it had served its purpose and it it is what it it is what it is. But I think that in some ways there's this balance of the person that the ED uh, having to be gracious, of course, right, put themselves as much as they can in the founder's shoes, and you know, thank you for your ideas and feedback, uh, micromanaging founder. But um, no, but but I do think there's a bit of, you know, trying to be gracious, trying to be um, come from a place of gratitude for how much the founder's given. And then talking to the board chair, I mean, the board chair can be a partner in this. I know it's tough because of that friendship relationship, but um, I feel like this is, hopefully you can have a safe space with the board chair to just explain some of the challenges um, if the board chair is one of the people that is, you know, a friend of the founders, maybe asking the board chair if they have any advice or if if they can help you navigate sort of some of these conversations. Um, but but candidly, like, I think that's even going to be a stretch because of the friend factor. So I'm like, I, I think that in, perhaps this is a great opportunity to bring in an outside, uh, you know, facilitator consultant to help kind of reset and talk about, you know, let's let's all kind of come to some agreements together and have some of that facilitated dialogue that perhaps others on the board are also concerned about having, but know it's a problem, right? Just because they're friends doesn't mean that they, you know, aren't, that they're oblivious to what's going on. And so, so I think you need like a trusted safe space, whether that can be with your board chair or whether it's this outside consultant that can help you think through it. Um, I don't know. Is that pie in the sky? You think, Andy, or is it just sucking no, up? I, 
I think you're exactly, that's exactly right. I think in my brain, I'd conflated the founder with the board chair. I think I'd connected those two things and just made them the same person okay. in my brain. Yeah. So, but you're right. The, if, if the founder is the board chair, then the only way it's ever going to get resolved is to have a convert. I think you're right. Is the only way it's going to get resolved is to have a conversation with that person and say, look, you hired an executive director because you wanted somebody to do something. And I would love to do these things that you've given me the opportunity to do, but you need to let me do them. And, and if, you know, it may be, you know, there's plenty of resources out there. And again, we we can find stuff for the show notes that talk about what the, the roles of an actual governing board are, because this is again for the, you know, the same question again is you're, you're dealing with a, a board that's in an organization that's in its adolescence. So it hasn't transitioned from a working board, or at least the founder hasn't transitioned from a working board to a governing board and let them know that that's the, as a board member, that's what their role is. Their role isn't anything else other than to give support to the executive director who then supervises the staff to get the work done. And, and, you know, obviously you're going to want to use a, you know, more flowery language and be politer than I am. But, but if the board chair or the founder can't understand that, their organization is perpetually going to be caught in this sort of not performing to the best of their ability space, because there's no way you can grow out of that. Like founders that get too involved and don't ever let their organizations free are, are always going to be under-resourced. There's a, you've added an additional bottleneck for any sort of decision-making because, oh, we have to do it this way because that's what the founder wants, you know, even though yeah. that might not be the best thing for the organization to do. It's really, it really hobbles the long-term prospects of the organization. And if there's a way to get the board chair or even the, the old founder to understand that, maybe, maybe that's a good place to start from. Um, but yeah, it's gotta be communication, a direct communication and it shouldn't be scary. I mean, you're an executive director. So, so put on the, put on your, your, um, your bulletproof pants <laughs> and go into the meeting ready for, <laughs> ready for a little bit of battle. Um, cause, cause the organization can't thrive in the situation that it's in right now. Thanks for joining us today. This was a, it was a pretty interesting episode, wasn't it? Um, on behalf of Stacy, thanks for taking the time out of your day to listen to us talk about nonprofit related things. If you had some questions come up as you were listening, um, shoot them to us on Twitter, Facebook, our new Discord channel. You can get an invite for that on the show notes or on the Nonprofit Everything webpage and uh, chat us up there. We've got a special section for episode discussion now, too. So if something in here and you wanted more information about it or you think we got it wrong, that's a good place to, to sort of pop in and let us know. Um, we'd appreciate any feedback you can give us. We, we always want to make this more interesting, more useful. We want more people to listen to it if it's if it is useful. So the better it becomes, the the more people we can bring in, which means the more questions we get, which means the more interesting topics we can cover, the better guest experts we can bring in. It's a, it's like a giant snowball effect of nonprofit goodness. So send us those questions. Uh, let us know how we're doing and uh, we'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm.